Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 482 with Donnie Glass. Every every leader, no matter what you do for a living, there are going to be talented people that work for you. It's up to me to point them in the right direction and make sure that they stay engaged. You can't just give somebody their dream, what they think is their dream job, and then like, you know, dust your hands off and say, okay, cool. Well, I did everything I could for that person. And now if they're not happy, screw them. It's their fault. Like that's not the way humans work. You know, we, we need more than that. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. What's sorcery? Sorcery is AP automation, digital invoicing, and time and money saved. That's sorcery. Sorcery allows you to streamline and digitize your entire account's payable operation. Digital invoicing backed with human verification will save you countless hours of work and increase AP accuracy. Say goodbye to your file cabinets and enter the digital world. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call 1-866-830-0691. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you will receive 10% off your first three months with no setup fees. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable you can get a $50 gift card when you qualify that's cabbage with a k line of credit is subject to credit approval c terms and conditions all cabbage business loans are issued by celtic bank a utah chartered industrial bank member fdic and with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest chef donnie glass chef are you feeling unstoppable today Hell yeah, I'm feeling unstoppable. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait to hear your story. So Chef Glass graduated from Johnson and Wales University and took his first serious chef role at the Public Fish and Oyster in Charlottesville, Virginia. In 2016, he left for the iconic Black Dog in Martha's Vineyard. And today, Chef Glass is working on his first concept along with his wife, Grissette, located just outside Richmond, Virginia, uh, scheduled to open this summer. I'm so excited for you, Chef. And I'm really excited to, to get your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. Take it away. Uh, yeah, and it's not even a quote, and I feel bad that I'm I'm ripping it off the army um, because I was in the army and I didn't like it very much. But uh, lead from the front, mm. and uh, I think that's been something that has stuck with. It was something that I acquired in my pre-cooking years that has stuck with me through you know every single place I've ever cooked. Is you can't be afraid to like you have to lead from the front. Um, and, you know, that's that's just kind of it. It's that, that like one thing that you can keep in mind and you can keep, you know, you keep hammering home to your young kids that are that you're teaching and stuff like that. It's just, you know, lead from the front. Don't be afraid to do it. Do it yourself. What do you mean by lead from the front? What exactly do you mean by that? Paint that picture of what it looks like to lead from the front. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, you can't ever stop being a doer. You know, when you when you take your first cook jobs, 
you're just a doer. You don't, nobody cares what you think about specials or the menu or the work schedule or the uniform or anything. You just show up and you do. And, um, and I think a lot of chefs, as, you know, as they start to get further, you know, up the ladder and they, they get responsibility and they, they have, they have all these other things going on, which you have to pay attention to, you know, you have to pay attention to your numbers and you have to pay attention to your, you know, your health inspections and all those things, but you can't ever stop, you know, being a doer. Mm. Uh, and, and that's, and, you know, leadership, I think is just as, not just as important, but almost as important as something like technical skill when it comes to, you know, do you know how to, do you know how to braise? Do you know how to roast? Do you know how to stew? Do you know how to parlay and saute and all those things? Those are all, you know, you can't be a great chef without those, but I don't think you can be a great chef without being, you know, first and foremost, a leader. Yes. Um, I love it, chef. And when I heard you say that, the first thing that came into my mind, there's this image that I've seen before and it, it's a, totally aligns with what you're saying. It's the idea of a, a leader pulse, uh, and I think so often when we think of a leader, we think of somebody there pushing people in a direction, like like forcing people to do stuff, like a pusher, right? Mm-hmm. But a leader pulls and you pull by what you said, doing and doing everything to the standard and the expectation that you expect others to do it. And when you do that yourself, you you set the standard. You're pulling people with you. You're, you're you know you're breaking the waves. You're you're going first and you're pulling people along. And that's what I visualized when you were saying that. What do you think of that? Sure, sure, and and that's absolutely it. And because what we're doing. You know, and I guess it, it goes chef to chef, restaurant to restaurant, concept to concept. What some chefs are doing is technically really, really freaking hard. Uh, you know, I'm not at, at my restaurants. I've never like gone down the Alinea route of trying things that have literally never been done before. <laughs> what we're doing is we're cooking. We're yeah. cooking great food, and um, and we're and we're trying to cook it perfectly. Mm. And uh, and that doesn't mean it has to be complicated. And I think when you get you know, when you get cooks that are coming up under you, any, really anybody that works for you, um, you you want them to grow and you want them to learn. And a lot of that stuff, you have to show them. You have to, like, you have to not just tell them how to do it, show them how to do it once, but let them watch you sear scallop, you know, sear 300 scallops on a Saturday night and and just, you know, push it through and have every single one come up great. And they, you know, they, they pick up more on your habits, you know, from a, uh, from their learning perspective, it's easier when you see it done a million times in front of you. You're like, Oh, it's not, it's not that hard. You're painting that that picture. You're painting that picture of perfection. People need an aiming point. They need something to aim for. And you're the one to set that standard to paint that picture for them. And you think like the, the, the uh, Thomas Kellers of the world, like instantly have these incredible people surrounding them. Like, no, it, it took them years and years and years of doing the work and setting the example in developing people and growing these people around them. And that's, I mean, we all expect to be operating at that level right away, but you, you gotta, you gotta do the work first. You gotta show you, that. Example. You have yeah. to, you have uh, to, and I, and go ahead. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. This is your time to shine. No, I, I mean, I was, I, you know, I think what a lot of, a lot of, you know, 30 something, chefs are doing now is we're, you know, we're biting off more than we can chew in that we're not like, we're, I'm not giving my first concept enough time to surround myself with those people that are going to carry it before mm-hmm. I open my second. Oh man, you're or, yeah. up. <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, and so when, so when I go to restaurant X that's been open for three years and the chef's not there anymore because the chef's opening restaurant Y and I go and I have a, you know, we spent 300 bucks on dinner for two and we're just disappointed. Yeah. Because, you know, because, because it takes time. It takes a lot of time yeah. to, uh, to, to, to show people 
exactly how it's done, and then to find the right people that you can trust, that you can teach the way that it needs to be done. So, um, you know, I think we're taking a lot of that into our first restaurant is just cool your jets, slow down, like make it right, you know, do it, do it the right way. And then, you know, when you're 100% confident that you can walk out of that building and nothing, nothing would change. Then, then maybe you can start thinking about a second thing. Yeah, I like to think. Uh, oh, the, the the two things I like to say determines growth. And if you guys listening to this can think of another thing, please shoot me an email. But cash flow and people are the two things that determine growth. When you have the cash flow and you have the people that are running out of opportunities underneath your roof and they need opportunities or else are going someplace else, that's when you grow. Uh, we could talk all day about this, but I want to start with uh, kind of going bringing it back to being chronological and getting your story. So you said that uh, you were in the military that's how you kind of were brought into adulthood so sure i mean that that i think there's a lot to be learned from those who go to the military so before we kind of dive into your career as a chef any big lessons about who you were strengths weaknesses what was going on in your life at that time that you can share with us i mean i was you know i was 15 when 9 11 if we're getting into like why i joined the army and all that stuff i was 15 when 9 11 happened so super impressionable i lived in northern virginia everybody's dad worked at the Pentagon. It was just like what you did if you were like a, sorry, that's my dog in the background. But, uh, I'm just happy it wasn't my dog this time. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, that had a lot to do with it. I was in, you know, I was in Northern Virginia. I, I went to VMI. I enlisted in the army while I was there. Um, and I guess I just knew that if I didn't join the army, I'd end up like failing out of school. And, and I don't know. I just, I, I didn't have enough direction or discipline. I never lacked for, uh, passion about anything that I was doing. It was just a matter of giving that passion, kind of harnessing, hey, <laughs> harnessing that passion and, you know, putting it to good use. So, and I think, you know, that's what I got out of the army for the most part was just how to not waste time. Um, and a lot of, you know, it's, I find myself even now, you know, if I'm doing something that's basically worthless and I'm like, why am I wasting time right now? And it's okay to like relax. I'm not saying you shouldn't decompress. You like that's a that's a huge part of being a balanced, happy human, which then makes you a good chef. You know, you can't be a great chef if you're miserable all the time. Uh, you can be good, but you can't be great. Um, so I think you know finding achieving that balance. But you know, the army gave me a work ethic um, that you know my dad started, um, but the army kind of put the finishing touches on as far as. Like, you know, you wake up in the morning and your feet hit the floor and you get to work. You got purpose. Um, you got something to do. You're not just wasting your time. Like you, you're accomplishing something and you're living sure. intentionally. And I think that the military is a great avenue before even going to culinary school or investing in a college degree. Go figure out what your, you know, your purpose is. Go figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are. I think the military. Sure. Is a great I, got, I got a lot more out of culinary school because I had been in the army. You know, I, I when I went to Johnson and Wales, I was 23 or 20, almost 24. So I was, you know. You had purpose. Uh, you weren't. You hit the ground and you were getting work done. In school yeah. with like kids that just graduated from high school, who mom and dad made them pick something, and uh, so they picked culinary school. But you know, I feel like I was more, far more of like a sponge because I like I was there for a reason. Yeah, you're uh, making you making the most of it. Like we said, we had yeah. a purpose. So you um, you go to culinary school. You're at Johnson Wales. Uh, what was that experience like? Any mentors or anybody who kind of shined the light or gave you a different perspective that you didn't have before? Uh. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had some, I had some chef instructors at Johnson and Wales that were fantastic. And, um, and I had some that weren't so fantastic, you know, I mean, it's not every single class is going to like rip your eyes wide open and like 
it's not going to be, you know, the gospel of culinary, whatever. Yeah, you're learning the basics. But, yeah, you're, you're learning the basics. But, you know, it's interesting how, like, some people can, can teach you a 10-day course in meat cutting and impact you for the rest of your life when it comes to, like, every time you touch a boning knife. Um, and then how many classes you forget, you know, because they just whether it wasn't delivered in a, in a way that just speaks to you. Like we all learn differently and I learn differently than you do. And, um, but Johnson and Wales overall was a great experience. I, I couldn't have learned that much in that short amount of time. Um, especially because like I said, I was a little bit older and I knew why I was there and I worked full time while I was in school because, you know, I had to pay rent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't live in a dorm or anything. Um, so between, the chef instructors at the school and my sous chef at the restaurant that I was working at, um, you know, I learned a ton. You learn a ton about not just how to cook, but how to be an adult. That's yeah. the one thing that the army doesn't always quite teach you is how to like <laughs> make sure you pay your car insurance in time. Otherwise they cancel it on you. Like, yeah. Cause well, everything's kind of just done for you. Yeah. I mean, you weren't, you didn't have, uh, like you said, you were paying like, out of pocket as you're going to school. So you're, you're kind of entering into like serious adulthood. You weren't like one of these 17, 18 year old kids who had school loans to cover the expense for everything. Uh, you really right. had to grow up in that time. So you graduate, you're 23 years old when you, or 25 years old when you graduate. I'm assuming you were probably 20, like, 24, 20. Yeah. 24. Okay. And you spent, like you said, I think in the pre-interview chat, you said about four years kind of just hitting the ground, getting experience, learning. Uh, what was that like? Was there a culture shock at all? Was there a surprise? Or was it what you were expecting? Um, it was, it was a lot of what I was expecting. Uh, that doesn't, it doesn't make it suck any less when you're 24 years old and you're like happy about your raise from 10 to $11 an hour. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was, it was what I expected because I, you know, I walked into it with a mission, you know, and the mission is like climb that ladder and learn as much as you can along the way, but climb the ladder. Um, and uh, I, I, I more or less, I, I hate to say bounced around New England for four years because I wasn't necessarily flighty, but I, I took advantage of opportunities as they came. And um, I worked around New England. I was up in Maine. I was in New Hampshire. I was in Rhode Island um, and then eventually made it back to Massachusetts. It's, New England's kind of always been like my home away from home from Virginia. Um, but it was, you know, it was great. It was it was great in that. I had, you know, I was lucky. I had no kids. I wasn't married. Um, all I had to worry about was finding like a place to sleep. And uh, when it was time to move, if it didn't fit in my Jeep, it just didn't come with me because my number one priority was food and cooking. Yeah. And like it took precedent over everything. And, you know, other than my wife still does. Give me some clarity on what the mission was. You said you had a mission. Do you want to go learn everything and just and climb that ladder? But w- what specific goals did you have chef? Like what did that mission really look like? Sure. I mean, my goals, goals evolve and goals change. And, you know, from the moment that I like picked up a knife for the first time or worked in a restaurant for the first time, like a real restaurant for the first time, not, you know, at like a concession stand in high school or something, it was to be, great and to be the best. And when I was 23 and 24, I thought that meant being Thomas Keller. Like, cause that's what everybody that's yeah. my age thinks, you know? And as I got older, I realized it doesn't have to, you don't have to be him. You can be yourself and be just as great in a, you know, in a bunch of different ways. But I think like the overall mission throughout the whole time was get to the point where you can, you can one be self-employed and own your own restaurant. And two, 
uh, and this is the goal that took me a little longer to realize is achieve balance in your life and be happy because this whole working a hundred hours a week to be, you know, to, to show how passionate you are, like, I think it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. I don't think that you have to work a hundred hours a week to, to show how much you care. Um, but I think, yeah, but from day one, the mission was own a restaurant, be self-employed and have it be just awesome. Have it be a place that I was just super proud of. Okay. And um, yeah, so that was it. So what did that look like as you're getting closer and closer to this point? Uh, were there any key things that happened to you that you think got you closer to opening a restaurant? Like when today you're about to do it, but take us through those evolutionary points along the way where you got closer and closer to that, that ultimate goal. Uh, you know, you fail, you fail a lot. And, uh, you know, every time I had a new opportunity, I would go into it with the best of intentions, whether it was, you know, getting hired as a line cook or then, you know, eventually having an opportunity in this cool restaurant, uh, to be like a chef de partie in a tournant where I could work every station and I could just, you know, you, you, you're not necessarily in charge, but you come in and if you're saute that night, you're saute that night. If you're the grill that night, you're the grill that night. And like, you know, but every time you walk into a new situation, you're like, oh, this is how I'm going to make this place awesome. This is how I'm going to like improve upon what's already happening here. And, um, and like leave my mark kind of thing. Not that I needed like, like things on the menu named after me or anything. I didn't care about, and I still don't care about, you know, about the getting credit. It's about, it's about making it like truly spectacular. And, and so, you know, in a lot of these restaurants that I, that I worked in, when I walked in the door, it was far from spectacular. And when I left, it was still far from spectacular, but I tried the whole time. And I, you know, and I did change. There were, there were small incremental uh, improvements that I could at least afterwards say, all right, well, you know, at least, at least here, the fish is always not overcooked anymore. Mm. And, and if it's, and if that's all it is, then that's all it is. And I learned to, you know, work the, the, the quickest and the cleanest and the best that I possibly could given the circumstances. But no, I think, I think working towards owning your own restaurant is just years of learning what not to do. Just because <laughs> you, everybody knows what they want to do. I know, you know, I knew 10 years ago, what kind of restaurant I wanted to open and, and what philosophies I wanted to attack my, you know, you know, attack this business with, but you don't realize how many of those ideas suck until you see them, uh, like in practice. And you're like, wow, that just, that doesn't work. Wow. That idea I had 10 years ago is so 10 years ago. Yeah. I think you said it perfectly when it's just like, you learn what not to do. You get out there, you get experience, you, you learn what not to do. You fall on your ass, you fail and you, you're constantly just learning from those experiences until ultimately you, you reach that point where you, you feel confident enough that you figured it out. Uh, and you ended up back. We're all pre, uh, fish and oyster yeah we're, right? we're pre-public yeah. still okay uh so so i moved back to virginia um i had been in new england for four years and i was just ready to come home i was ready to go south i was ready to you know to take all of this because i had left virginia to go do that and take all of this like new knowledge and this you know the same passion that i had when i left but now i was a little more tuned in and um you know i i bounced around a couple jobs for like six months because i couldn't find somewhere that I couldn't find somewhere that shared the vision that I had. You know, I took a line cook job at this beautiful resort in central Virginia 
And it just wasn't, you know, the, the rest of the kitchen staff wasn't necessarily pulling in the same direction that I was. And just the random dude from Maine wasn't going to be the one to change this like $10 million. You know, I just, I was just hired to cook fish there. I wasn't hired to, to lead anyone yeah. or do anything. So, you know, I spent a few months there and then I took, and then I took my first sous chef job at this other restaurant that was kind of a Charlottesville institution that, uh, I walked in and I'm like, Oh my God, I remember coming to this restaurant six years ago. And, and like, it's so, it's crazy that now I'm the sous chef here and this is what I want to do to make it better because it's gotten tired and it's, and you know, nobody cares anymore. They're just resting on their laurels and on their Yelp reviews and all this stuff. And like, let's, let's push and stay within the concept of push. And again, like nobody else there was on the same page at all, especially in, you know, and we'll talk about this in a bit, but like the ownership, you know, ownership has got to be on the same page. So right now are you, are you talking about your, after uh, the public fishing oyster when you went to, this was all pre public. This is how I got back to Virginia. Okay. So, so then, so then uh, I was the sous chef at that restaurant in Charlottesville, this like staple it's been around, it'd been around for 10 years and was very successful monetarily. And um, I met this guy, uh, a friend of a friend who had just opened this restaurant called public and it had gotten off to a bit of a rocky start, but the concept was awesome. It was a, a new England, very like coastal new England raw bar with, you know, five or six apps and five or six entrees. And that was it. And I'm like, hell yeah, that's like right up my alley, small menu, attention to detail. It, it wasn't fussy, but it was, it was very uh, intentional and thoughtful uh, or, you know, it could have, it was, it, it could have been if it was perfect. And uh, I went through this like couple month long interview process where we sat down and really just shot the shit and, uh, and talked restaurant philosophy more times than actually, you know, actual in like pertinent things. It was just like talk is like you and I are talking right now. Um, Making sure you're months. on the same page, learning the values, the, the vision, or are we, sure, are exactly. we pulling in the same direction? Am I going to be fighting you? Like I was at these other places where I come in and we're just not on the same page at all. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, that guy was, uh, Daniel Kaufman and he, and, uh, he eventually <laughs> offered me my first job as like running a kitchen myself. And, um, and I, t- and I took it and I, and I ran with it and I like dug my heels in and I loved it. And it's the only job I've ever had where I feel like I might've left a little bit too soon. Um, because it really was like that place was on track to be, and it still is something special. Um, but that's, you know, that, and that was, I felt like that was, could have been my last step before I did branch off and open my own thing, whether it's five years down the road or six, seven years down the road. and. Um, but yeah, so that's how I got to public. Chef, I want to spend more time here because it sounds like a lot of things went right with this part of your life. So let's kind of try to identify what those right things were. Right off the bat, I can already think of one thing that sounds like it went different here. You really spent time developing a relationship with this gentleman and understanding what he wanted. He understood what you wanted. And in a sense, it's the importance of you know developing like those core values, the mission statement, the vision. I don't know if you guys actually went through and did these things, but you were on an you agreed, the two of you agreed, it sounds like, and all these things kind of came out naturally in conversation, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for for me it was it was just so refreshing to finally after you know, I had worked for chefs that I really, really liked and appreciated and and you know shared a lot of the same visions with, but to finally and Dan and I didn't agree on everything like that. We want, we wanted to kill each other, you know, not often, but every <laughs> once in a while. But we, 
but you know, you kind of just, you're able to put those things aside and, and focus and get it done. And like you said, if, if the revenue was there and the right people were there, then life was good. Even if I was working more than I should have, uh, from like, you know, what my wife would say, um, I was still happy. I was super happy because we were, you know, I felt like we were making progress. Um, but I had the right people there. I had the right people there. And thank God that, you know, the city of Charlottesville like came out for it and loved it. And, uh, and we stayed busy. And uh, so two things I want to dive into, you mentioned progress, the significance of progress and how progress makes an impact on you emotionally. And you said you had the right people. So what was going on in this situation? What, what made these people right? Um, the, the, the biggest part was one of, you know, one of my guys that I cooked with in Maine or not in Maine and in New Hampshire, he worked for, we both worked for the same guy, the same chef who's, uh, his name is Mickey. And Mickey was like an old eighties, New York chef who like could like cook circles around anyone that's currently working in Michelin star restaurants still could like, you know, he's not an old guy. He's in his mid to late forties, but in chef years, that's like, you know, you're a dinosaur at that point. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, but he was, you know, he was this, this super New York dude who, who just drove home technique, 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 and work ethic, work ethic, work ethic. And those were, you know, you're only as good as your last plate. You can put out, you know, you can put out a thousand beautiful plates, but if plate a thousand and one is your last one and it looks like shit, that's what you get remembered for. Um, and uh, so anyways, I worked with this, this, this other, this other young guy there, his name is Greg. And uh, when I took the job at public, I told uh, Dan, the owner of public, like, I'm only going to take this job if I can bring my sous chef from, from New Hampshire. And this is how much money he's going to have to make every year. And he's going to have to have health insurance. And we got to give him a month to get down here. Cause he's got to give a notice at his current job. But like, he has to come with me and it's like non-negotiable. And Dan was like, fine, sure. Awesome. If he's, if he's going to relocate from New Hampshire to Virginia to be your sous chef, then I'm sure he's, uh, you know, he's, he's good to go. And Greg was good to go. That's, you know, we couldn't, I couldn't have gotten anything done at that restaurant if I didn't have like, a, a rock as my sous chef. So I think the um, lesson here is you're only as good as your people and you have to have the same values. You know, you have to be working you in the, you have to be in the same frequency in the same wavelength. So sure. is it because you guys came from the same background? You had the same, I think that had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, we, we cut our teeth under the same style of leadership, um, which goes back to the very first thing I said is be a doer, you know, like Mickey still, does you know i bet mickey chops an onion every single day and he's and he owns this like this big catering company in new england where he does very well and i I bet he still chops an onion every day he's still you know he's still constantly like on his feet at the stove you know loading up his own trucks he's you know and and so greg and i both came from that that's that like hard-ass old school you know school of thought of like Dude, if you're like taking a if you're taking a picture of yourself to put it on Instagram, you are wrong. Like, and <laughs> and I know that there are marketing reasons that that's good now, and uh, and I like totally appreciate what Instagram does for for restaurants and chefs. But uh, you know, so Greg and I coming from the same cut from the same uh, kind of cloth from a culinary standpoint, and I knew he could cook because um, I had cooked with him. Yeah, for years. He, so we're identifying you know, that you guys have the same we values. We stood next to each other for 
What's that? Sorry, we're we're identifying that you guys had the same values uh, in the same work ethic. What were some of the other values that you and he had that set the standard that that you made clear with these group of people that you were leading? Um, you know, a lot of it was just be a freaking adult. You know, do not you know in you know, everybody reads Kitchen Confidential and they're like, oh yeah, I get to come into work hungover and it's all like drugs and all that shit. Like not if you actually want to have an amazing restaurant. Mm. Like if you really want to kill it, there is a level of, of, uh, you know, of balance of sobriety and lifestyle that's necessary that, that Greg and I, you know, completely understood going into this thing. Um, you know, we're not choir boys by any stretch. Like, we we go out after a really busy shift and rip a couple shots of whiskey and like it's it's not a big deal but we don't you know we can't you can't stay out till four o'clock in the morning if you have to be at work at eleven mm-hmm. you just can't certain um, level of responsibility and just commitment to those you work with uh, an obligation in a not an obligation you know what I'm saying like you, you, yeah I mean you and 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 our you know us being that way you know I had. I hired, it wasn't just the two of us, you know, it was a, a handful of other cooks. It was a, it's a small restaurant. It's only uh, 50 seats, uh, 80 seats in the summer when the patio is open. So it's not a terribly large place, but you know, the kitchen staff of six or seven or eight guys, all seeing their chef and sous chef, you know, be the first ones in the door in the morning and the last ones out the door at night and leading from know, the like, front. Yeah. Lead, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and and saying to them like, dude, go out, have fun, be 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 young, you know, yeah. you're, you're 21 years old, go have fun, go be kind of stupid, but don't be too stupid if you want to work here. Yeah. There are plenty of places you can work and be really really stupid, and you can still cook for a living, and you can probably still make 13 or 14 bucks an hour for a living. But we we want to compete. Mm. Um, not that we love like awards and accolades, but we want we want to compete for every single one that's in existence. You want to be proud of what you're doing, man. Yeah, absolutely, and and I guess that's more important we, we want to compete for the sake of competition mm-hmm. not for not for winning anything and you know we you know trying to develop and you know i i i'm a stupid big sports guy and i i like lean on sports analogies all the time but you know you're trying to become the san antonio spurs of the kitchen world or you know the new england patriots of the yeah. kitchen world <laughs> and, and i hate to you know i'm a huge caps fan huge game tomorrow but you want to be that like that pittsburgh penguins just the the like even if it means you're the boring champions then you're the boring champions but you gotta win you gotta win all the time and uh so the other thing i want to tap on chef that we uh the first thing was you know the the continual sense of progress so we talked a lot about the culture of the people but why was progress so important to you i mean i think i think it's hard because you can so infrequently see infrequently see tangible progress um i mean what are you going to do like you know your next iteration of the menu like you can't just objectively say this is better than that you know it's it's in in i guess in restaurants you can measure progress in progress in money uh, you know, if the restaurant's getting busier and our costs are remaining the same, then we're making progress. And, uh, and we did make that much, you know, we did make, pro- when, when we, when I first got to public, I said, this is what I want year two sales to look like. And being able to hit that goal was important to me. And, um, I rarely, as a chef, until you own a business, you rarely really care what the number is at the end of the day, as far as like what you did in sales, you're more of like, how many covers did I do? And, 
and, you know, how did the food all look and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we did measure progress with money because, you know, the guy that owned public didn't own other restaurants. He, he took every dime he had and he invested into this beautiful concept and idea and gave two like basically rookies at running the show an opportunity to put our, you know, our take on it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there was progress in, in trimming the fat from, from, you know, when we first got there, you know, you could say, Oh God, remember when it used to be like, we used to get here at eight o'clock in the morning just to start everything. And now we think the food is better and we can come in at 11 o'clock and everything still gets done. And it's, and it's better than it used to be because we've, you know, I guess that's, I guess that's progress. Well, you've uh, groomed your people. You've de- developed your systems. You've fine tuned everything in that, sure. that sense of growth. And one of the reasons why I wanted to lean into that is because you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the most basic needs like food, shelter, those get met pretty easily in today's society. Above that, it's belonging. You had that with being able to build your own team. You had a sense of belonging in the, uh, of com- camaraderie, but, after that is personal growth and progress. And we need that. It's one of those things we need as humans. Then after that, the only thing after that is that self-actualization. So sure. it sounds like you were kind of climbing that ladder of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And then that, that next thing was the progress the, to get better. And I think we all want that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to dive deeper into this gentleman, Dan, because it sounds like uh, you have a lot of admiration for Dan as an owner. So what did Dan do right as an owner and continues to do right to this day from the outside looking in, knowing him as well as you do? Um, I think, I think a lot of it had to do with that. Our personalities, our personalities meshed well. And again, we, you know, and I, I reiterate, we didn't always agree. And um, even to this day, you know, I, I, I'm like, oh, well, I would, I would do it differently if I was still at public or, you know, whatever it is, but, uh, just not taking it, you know, neither of us ever allowed ourselves to take it so seriously that we got personal with anybody that worked there. You know, um, I think keeping, keeping that level head of saying, look, this is, this is a restaurant and this is a business, but we should definitely be closed Christmas Eve, Christmas day. And for two more days, even if it means, you know, $10,000, you know, even if it means you're, you're going to miss this revenue, um, it's worth it because we, we'd rather just have great people here. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we agreed on. That was the, and a lot of the times it was me lobbying for those things. Cause he's the owner. He's like, well, yeah, if we can be open, we should be open and damn right. We should be. Um, as somebody who's about to open a restaurant, like I'll probably be there on days. I don't feel like being there, but, uh, I know I will be, but, um, no, I think Dan, Dan always, you know, it was personal for him that this restaurant was, was awesome. So what did Dan Uh, bring to the table aside from being the money guy? What what, was he from? So he was, he had, uh, uh, he was, he's a certified Psalm. He came up through country clubs, um, like nice country clubs. And we always gave him shit for it because he, you know, he would, and I'm all about being accommodating, but this guy would like bend over more like 360 degree backwards for anybody if they wanted anything. Like he would take his jacket off and give it to somebody if he thought they were cold in the dining room, which is super admirable. And then as a chef, you're like, you get this ticket in and it's like, well, yeah, it's Mr. Uh, Mr. Johnson from so-and-so country club. And he's been, you know, he's, he's, I've been serving him for 10 years and 
and this is how he likes his fish. And I know it's not on the menu, but can you guys do it for me? And we're like, God damn it, but sure. Of course. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, I think he's, he, somebody told a story about him a couple weeks ago. I went back and cooked a wine dinner there with Greg, who's now the chef there. Um, was Greg the Sioux that you had? For- Greg was my Sioux. Yeah. Okay. So then, and, and, uh, this lady told this story about these, uh, one time where these people left and they were unhappy and Dan literally like walked out the door and ran down the road after them because he didn't understand what happened. Why didn't you love my restaurant? You know, he took it so personally that, uh, it shouldn't be personal. Don't, don't you think it should be personal? Do you think we've got to a point? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and just be beyond the money that he had invested in this place. Like, you know, this is where Dan spends his time. This is where Dan, you know, he, he gives a shit for lack of a better term. He's not just a, this, you know, absentee owner. I mean, it's, he's been able to, now that the restaurant's four going on five years old, he's been able to take a step back and, you know, not be there all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, he, he and I both agreed that this is something worth caring about. Mm. So eventually you spent one year here. You already kind of confessed. I spent, I spent two years, there. two years. Okay. Um, you spent yeah. two years there. Uh, you already kind of confessed that this is probably the place you pro- you should have stayed longer. Hindsight being 2020, you recognize that now, but why, why did you leave then? What was going on? What, what, what was the purpose of leaving? I mean, I think, I think it all goes back to, uh, you know, and it sounds hypocritical and self-contradictory of the point that I made earlier of, and, and this comes from learning through my own failures that, Chefs, you know, we get antsy, you know, on that hierarchy of needs, that, that progress, um, you know, you gotta, we get to the point where we're like, all right, well, I've squeezed every drop I can out of this sponge. I've like, you know, now I need a new one. And, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to do something really cool. And that wasn't the black dog, um, where I kind of, I wanted to venture out on my own and, um, and, you know, start basically raising money to open my own restaurant through catering and then I realized that I hated catering. Um, but that's, you know, so I left public just, I think, I think I just got to the point where I, I, I felt like I, I foolishly thought that I had taken everything out of it that I could have. And I didn't. Um, what didn't you take out of it? I mean, I think I, I had gotten to the, I had gotten to the point where, the, the systems were all in place and it ran smoothly and it, and we were busy and everything was, was, you know, the, the team was happy and all that stuff. But I think I could have pushed myself more uh, with, with the food. I think I, not that I got lazy, but, and not that I needed, you don't need to keep reinventing the wheel, but, you know, teaching yourself new techniques that, um, you know, people in the dining room never even know about or never even realize it's just, you know, adding more to your repertoire and push the envelope, get out there, get creative, find things, you know, exactly, exactly. And, um, and, you know, another, another thing that I, you know, wish I had stayed a little bit longer for is, is, you know, Dan, Dan always wanted to, you know, he was always cool with the fact that I wanted to open my own restaurant and we had, you know, we had talked about doing that together, which we're, you know, we're not obviously, um, but, you know, I think, who knows? I, and I'm, I'm glad I left because everything went well. Um, not all at the same time, but eventually, you know, all's well that ends well. And I'm here now doing, you know, and I'm, I'm on the right track, I think. But, um, you know, the other, the other issue was that Greg was, Greg was ready. Greg was ready to take my job. And if Greg didn't become, you know, 
he didn't want to be my sous chef forever. As close as we were, and we worked with each other cumulatively for almost five years between New Hampshire and Virginia, you know, we're still freaking best friends and stuff like that. But we, you know, at a, at a certain point, he didn't want to be the sous chef anymore. He wanted to be the chef at a restaurant. And I, you know, the thought of public without Greg uh, was, was frankly terrifying um, for me. And I just kind of weighed all my options and said, all right, I've got a cool opportunity here. I've got a cool opportunity there. Maybe it's just time. Greg needs, you know, Greg needs this uh, for his own personal growth and just kind of stepping out of the way and saying, all right, Greg, man, do it. It's yours now. And I'm going to go chase down this whatever dream. And, um, and Greg's still there. He's still the executive chef at public. He's been there now. I have to ask the, the question that's going through my mind is why not approach Dan and say, Dan, Let's do something else. We have we have this the sous chef groomed, who's ready to take over this role. He can handle this. Let's let's why not open a restaurant with Dan? Um, you know, our as as good of friends as we are, um, at a certain point when you are when you're going to own it yourself, everybody that's on board um, from a leadership standpoint has to be not just ninety percent of the way on the same page. You guys got to be a hundred percent of the way on the same page. And that doesn't mean you agree on everything, but it means that the vision is, is bulletproof. And Dan and I, I, I think don't, we don't quite have that. And that's not to say that I don't respect the hell out of his, his, you know, everything that he's done up until this point. And I don't appreciate the opportunities he gave me. And I'm not different things. I called Dan, I called Dan today to tell him about a restaurant that just went under in Richmond. And I'm like, Dude, you know that red sauce Italian concept we always talked about? You should come open that in Richmond because this spot is banging and you'd kill it there. Uh, like, I still talk to him all the time. It's not that we ever had a bad relationship. You just wanted different things. You had different visions we to wear different things. That's, that's exactly it. Dan has two kids and, and he's married and he doesn't want to live at work quite as much as I do. And, uh, you know, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't for whatever reason, it just wasn't. It wasn't going to be a long-term solution for me. Mm. Well, it's good that you knew that and that you guys don't want to get into say when you, you know, after you've, you know, just sang this guy's praises for 15 minutes is to say, you know, you didn't say anything bad about him. You didn't slander his character. You simply wanted different things. And it's exactly. And I can't remember uh, big red F is the, the restaurant group. The, the name of the chef who owns it is escaping my mind, but he said, uh, that if you're going to go into business with somebody, you have to be willing to marry that person. And if you're yeah. marrying somebody who wants a different life than you, then it's not going to be a good marriage. Uh, so you guys, you knew that and you didn't get into a lifelong commitment with this person. And I admire that. So right. good on you. So you, you left, you went to um, new England and you're thinking to yourself, I'm going to start my own catering company, low overhead. I'm going to use that to, to prime, uh, the engine on my own restaurant concept someday, you realize you hated catering. And I fell flat on my face as a business owner because I did not take seriously how much money it costs to really be on your own. Mm. You know, it, it, it was just, it was shocking how many, you know, I'm like, you know, going to this thing with, you know, 5,000 bucks and you're like, Oh, well, I'll just build it from, you know, the ground up. I'll take small gigs until I've saved money. And I'm, and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well you need a space and you need insurance and you need refrigeration and you need this. And then your, your fridge breaks and you're like, well, shit, now I got to pay this guy 800 bucks to fix my fridge. And I'm like, 
I hope we have a good weekend. <laughs> I owe this guy eight hundred dollars next week, and I, you know, I always, I was paid. But um, no, it's so, funny that you bring that up because I just literally interviewed uh, Chef Ted Torres this morning from Coa Catering out of uh, New York or no Philadelphia, and that was one of the biggest lessons he said. You know, always never you know, f- know the cash flow you need because if you yeah. under, if, you know, we were always trying to under, you know, sell each other, undercut each other, but don't be willing to go so low that you, you can't get the job done and know exactly what you need and don't budge from that. Would you agree? Sure. That? Was that a Definitely. lesson that you learned? Yeah, man, absolutely. And, and, um, going into Grisette, I, I, you know, I have my spreadsheets dialed in as to what my expectations are and 10% above my expectations and 20% above my expectations and 30% above, and then 10, 20, 30, 40, 50% below my expectations. And just having that real number at the end of the day that says, you know, well, after this two week pay period, this is how much money the restaurant's going to need to cover the paychecks. And this is how much money the restaurant's going to need to buy food for the next week. So yeah, I mean, and, and it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, you learn through failure, you learn from falling on your face making some bad, bad moves and bad business decisions. And, you know, and a lot of it's, you know, when you're excited about something, you want to trust everybody. And you just think that everybody is, you know, cause everybody else gets excited too. And you're like, Oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And <laughs> this is such a great idea. And I'm like, I'm sure you're awesome. And you're totally going to have my back when it gets tough. And then, and then they don't. And, and so not that, you know, not that I, trust everybody or I don't trust anybody. I'm not like this, like weird, like trustophobe where like, I just like, you know, I'm not like Tony Montana or anything, but uh, (laughs) I got you. I know what you're saying. So let's bring it to, uh, the black dog because, uh, you went to this place. Uh, one thing I really want to hit on, uh, is being on the same page as the owner. And I think we already kind of tapped on that with Dan. Uh, you weren't on the same page, uh, but you knew you weren't on the same page, which is why you decided to, to leave in the first place. Uh, but then again, uh, with the black dog, what made you think that getting into this, you were on the same page? So, so, I mean, I, I allowed myself to be kind of, you know, and, and I have to put myself back into the mindset of where I was when I took that job, which was, uh, you know, two months removed from being the chef at a very popular restaurant where I made a, not, I wasn't rich by any imagined stretch of the imagination, but I was comfortable enough to where I never had to like check my bank account when I knew my rent was due. And so like, well, you know, I paid my bills and I was happy and I was comfy and all that stuff. Um, two months removed from that, I was like broke as shit and was, you know, running this, trying to run this stupid catering business that I hated. And I was like, you know, what the hell was I thinking? And, um, and I went fishing and I got online and saw what was out there. And I'm like, man, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to relocate. You know, I move a lot. I'd always moved a lot. Maybe it's time to just like take a chance. Let me at least see what's out there. And, you know, I grew up going to the Cape. My whole family's from new England. And I'm like, Oh man, the black dog tavern is looking for an executive chef. Like that would be awesome. I could live on Martha's vineyard. I'll work in this like beautiful little, you know, this, little taverny restaurant. And, uh, and I reached out to them and, uh, got called back the next day. And three days later, they had me on a plane, on a boat to Martha's Vineyard. And I like totally fell for 
a flight to the vineyard and a nice hotel and like, and, 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 but you know, throughout the interview process there, I was very candid and I was very straightforward and I explained to them why I wanted to be there. And that was, you know, to, to bring it back to what the black dog tavern was in the seventies and eighties, which was a really cool from scratch chowder house. And that I had been at public for two years and like, you know, oysters and lobster and, uh, and fish and, and like new England cuisine was just like, it's, it had almost become like my thing at that point. And, uh, and I thought that this was like the next step. And, you know, they offered me a fat six figure or they didn't offer me. I asked for a fat six figure salary thinking they would like balk at it. And they were like, yeah, sure. When can you start? And I was like, holy crap, they're serious. So, um, between the money and, the fact that it was exotic and it was on the, you know, it was on the vineyard. I lived on a little 88 square mile Island. Um, and they were like, you know, just hang in there for, for, you know, get your feet under you. I was also walking into it in the middle of the season, in the middle of July. And if you know anything about Martha's Vineyard, you know, there's about 10,000 people there year round and 130,000 people there in July and August. Mm. So it was bananas, like right from the get go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I was sold this, like, you're, you're the chef now. And there are certain things that aren't going to be able to change. But, uh, you know, I felt like a place like the Black Dog shouldn't be ordering their chowder frozen in bags. And I don't think you should be ordering your tuna from, you know, your dye-injected tuna from Sri Lanka. You have fishermen all around you. You know, <laughs> we're surrounded by the best seafood in the world. Yet we're getting our, you know, our stuff pre-portioned and flat, pre-portioned and flash frozen from Cisco, and uh, it just didn't make any sense to me. And I pitched this whole like return to dock to table kind of concept to the to uh, the management group that runs the Black Dog, um, and they were all about it. And they said, "Yeah, that sounds amazing. When can you start? All that stuff. We'll fly you up. We'll move. We'll pay for you to move. You know, bring your girlfriend. Uh, you know, whatever it is." And I went up there and boy, reality was just not what, you know, wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So how can we protect ourselves from something like this happening to us? What things did you not do that we could do or you would do? I didn't, given the- I didn't, I didn't stage for long enough. Um, I didn't stage at all. I interviewed and I interviewed with a couple different people. And I, what I should have said is if I'm going to relocate, if I'm going to rip the roots of my life out of Virginia up and pack all my stuff and move up to Martha's Vineyard. Um, I want to work for a week and see if I think that, or I want to work for a weekend. I want to work for three days and see what the vibe is in this restaurant. See what the culture is like in this restaurant. See, see what the lead, see what the <laughs> current leadership is like. In see what what they're cutting out of bags and what they're not cutting out of bags. Yeah, exactly. And that's <laughs> yeah. not to say that commodity food is inherently evil. Um, you know, at a certain point, you got to feed the masses for. Um, for an, in an inexpensive way. And maybe that's all the black dog is ever going to be going forward is cutting their chowder out of bags. But, um, I felt like I had a plan and a model to make it, to make it better and to make it a little bit different from the rest of, cause that's what, that's what everybody on the vineyard and everybody on Nantucket, nobody makes their own chowder anymore. Nobody like there might be like two restaurants on Martha's vineyard that make clam chowder and everybody serves it. And they all serve the exact same one. And I'm not knocking them, it, but because it sells and they make money, they make stupid money. Um, but you know, getting up there, I should have just said, "Look, put me to work for three days. You don't have to pay. You know, don't pay me. Just 
give me a hotel to sleep in and make sure I get like three meals a day. And I just want to check this place out because if I had done that, I never would have gone. Due diligence. Um, yeah, I didn't do my due diligence. I got super excited about money and I got super excited about this really cool opportunity. And like the blinders went up and I didn't look at, you know, logistically how this whole thing was going to freaking work. So the lesson here, do your due diligence to get it in there, get a taste of what you're getting yourself into before you sign on the dotted line. Any other lessons from this experience that you drew working here? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to, you know, to take an experience that was so negative because I, you know, without being unprofessional, it was just an entirely negative experience. Um, Did anything good happen? I mean, take a- I mean, I, I, I met some, I met some great people. I mean, you find great people in every restaurant, yeah. uh, you know, even restaurants that are totally jacked up, you still find awesome people who they mean, well, there's just no leadership. Mm. There's just no, like, you know, they're just being led poorly. That's all it is. It's not that they, they don't work hard or they don't care. There's nobody showing them how to do it. You know, nobody's leading from the front. Why nobody's, couldn't you, why wasn't it enough for you to be leading from the front? Why couldn't you change? What, what was going on here where you couldn't, was it so far gone that you couldn't turn things around? No, I don't think so. I really don't. I think, um, there were, you know, I had a, I had a very hands-on boss there who, did not agree with any, she had, you know, she didn't like me. She didn't like my ideas. She liked the status quo because it's, you know, it's just like the guy that was there before me. She made a bunch of money and she was happy with, you know, pumping out frozen food and like, it didn't matter to her that anything was done from scratch. Um, And that made it, you know, that was, that made it really, really challenging to get anything done because, you know, you, you push forward 10 steps and then you have somebody like right behind you who's telling everybody, oh, no, don't worry about what the, that, that guy's not even going to last here. Just just keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then that's ultimately what happened. And, you know, if we're calling calling it all like it is, uh, you know, she won. I, I left. Um, yeah. Now, there are a couple of things that, uh, you know, this is something I need to do more often. I had uh, you send me a list of things that you really want to talk about. And uh, I, I like having this this. Uh, arsenal or this uh this ammo in my bag uh some of the things that we one thing we did not touch on yet maybe we did a little bit but i would love to go deeper into this is hanging hanging on to talented people what 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 did you mean by that like really dive into why you want to talk about this sure um you know every every leader no matter what you do for a living has you know talent you know there are going to be talented people that work for you and it's up, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's up to me to, to point them in the right direction and make sure that they stay engaged. Um, you know, you can't, you can't just give somebody their dream, what they think is their dream job. And then like, you know, dust your hands off and say, okay, cool. Well, I did everything I could for that person. And now if they're not happy, screw them. It's their fault. Like, that's not the way humans work. You know, we, we need more than that. Um, you know, I, I've I've said, you know, I, I've said goodbye to some really really talented cooks. Like, and, and I always take it personally when somebody quits at a job that I'm working at, you know, or a, a restaurant that I'm running, um, because you know you're like, well, what the hell, man? Am I like, how? Why aren't I good enough? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and and you you just have to, you know, you have to keep pressing, and you can't get lazy about your leadership. And it's so easy to do. You get into somewhere and you've been working with the same guy for six months 
and you're like, all right, well, I've taught him how to do this, and I've taught him how to do that, and he showed an interest in this, so I let him start doing that. And then all of a sudden, I take my hands off for two, three months, and they're like, well, you know, now I'm bored again. And certain people are more difficult than others to manage and to deal with. Um, but I think if you have talent that's working for you, uh, it's up to you as a leader to hang on to it. And there will be a day that comes that they, that they leave. You know, you can't hang on to good people forever, uh, no matter what the instance is, because there's always going to be that next challenge for them. So um, you always hang on to good people and you do that by giving them direction, you said, and keeping them engaged. How do you give them direction and how do you keep them engaged? So for, so the, the best example of it is uh, I, I worked, I hired this kid at public to wash dishes and uh, his name is Scotty. And Scotty was like a 20 year old, like, you know, had worked in sandwich shops and pizza joints, but never like a real kitchen before. And he needed a job and I gave him a dishwashing job and he was super smart and super sharp. And he picked up on, you know, on the food side of things really, really quickly. And I could start giving him little prep projects and I could start, you know, teaching, you know, teach him how to use a knife the right way and teach him how to like, you know, he was naturally a very organized and clean individual, which helped a lot. But, um, but, you know, and he started going down this, this road of like, he really started to fall in love with, uh, with like baking and pastry and desserts. And I'm like, all right, sweet, man. If you like doing that stuff, uh, you can do it, you know, and I'll show you a couple I'll show you some cool, like not cool, but I'll show you some fundamental techniques and we'll get you started. And, um, you know, write down some ideas that you have and we'll, I'll help you like hone them in and make it, you know, restaurant specific to what we're doing here. And uh, he was all about it for, you know, maybe a month and a half, two months. And then I took, and then I like went way too hands off with him and I let him come up with ideas without ever, you know, he would come in with these ideas and I'd be like, all right, cool. We'll make it. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't know how to make that. Like, I thought you know how to make that. And you're going to show me how to make that. Like, you just, you just said you wanted an idea. Like I'm not a, I was a dishwasher six months ago. Uh, and, and, but he, and he never said that though. Yeah. He just, you know, he just got frustrated and more frustrated and more frustrated and, you know, shame on me for not noticing and shame on me for not seeing it and shame on me for getting lazy about it and not, you know, taking his, take your ideas and be like, all right, well, you brought five ideas in and four and a half, four and a half of them suck. And let me tell you why. And not that you ever want to like crap on your people like that, but you know, explaining constructive like, criticism and it's, it, constructive, yeah. it's direct constructive criticism. But this one half of an idea that you have is brilliant. And let me show you how to take like, you know, these three flavors that you, let me show you how to take cashews and milk chocolate and strawberries and let's make something really, really good because that sounds awesome to me. That sounds great to me as like a early summer dessert menu item. And uh, so let's talk about mousse and let's talk about egg yolks and why they work the way they do and what heat does to egg yolks and like, you know, and aerating them and, and what to do with the whites because you're going to end up with a lot of whites. I didn't, I didn't approach it as a mentor when I should have been. I just thought like, here's this kid. He's way too smart for his own good. He has an interest in this stuff. He'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he tried and failed and tried and failed and he made a lot of really shitty desserts. Um, but, and I, you know, I didn't jump in fast enough and say, let me help you. Let me come in two mornings a week for two hours each. And just, let's just make desserts together. I think Instead, I'm just like, Hey man, why can't you figure this out? Which is <laughs> a real, real dickish well, thing to 
you know, hindsight, you know, is always twenty twenty, like they say. And I think you did a really, I mean, what you did in the sense of giving him that freedom, that that room to grow, that room to be curious, that room to contribute, the, the room to feel like he was a part of the team and not just washing dishes. Like you gave him that room. Not a lot of people do that. So like hats off for that. Uh, the only words that I could think of, the words that kept coming into my mind while you were telling that story is the Danny Myers content, that constant gentle pressure, constant of, gentle pressure. Yeah. yeah and just you know it, it's great that you're doing it but it, if you don't pay enough attention to it it, it will stray over time well uh, and you're gonna bring it back you gotta you know center i mean maybe the the centering the, the the table analogy doesn't quite work here in the sense that it's the standards that you're making sure people are doing things the right way all the time but you do need to also have that constant gentle pressure on uh the the mentoring the 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 education the the guiding uh down this path of where you want to be and it sounds like you kind of just uh I, I, I gave up on the constant part. Mm. I was giving him gentle pressure. Uh, you know, I was, I was, con- you know, I was, uh, I was being cool about it. I wasn't being a jerk and I was telling him what was right and what was wrong, but I wasn't doing it all the time. And, you know, for those of us that are Danny Meyer, like nerds, you have to have all three. Yeah. Like gentle pressure is nothing if it's not constant mm-hmm. and constant pressure is nothing if it's not gentle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and all, you know, all, all three of those iterations without, constant gentle pressure you're just letting somebody kind of do their own thing if you're not constant about it and you know i just didn't stay on top of it enough and you know it's it's hard to you know not that i'm like giving myself the excuse but damn you're like you got you know i got eight different people pulling me in eight different directions and you know and not to mention your life outside of the restaurant whether you're you know you know if you're freaking you know your dog dies you had a really bad day and like how are you supposed to come in and just get work done. Or, you know, if you're having a fight with your significant other, or if you're, you know, your car breaks down and you're like, Oh crap, that's, that's a $2,000 fix. Now I am a little bit worried about money. Like, you know, it's hard to stay on top of work and it's hard to stay engaged as a chef. And it's, uh, but, but you, but you really have to, you just, and that's not to say that when life throws you curveballs, you you can't have good people around you that are there to back you up. You need that stuff too. But, um, so you know, chef- I just it came down to like, we just didn't communicate well enough. I didn't communicate well enough with him. Okay. Uh, this has been a great conversation and uh, we haven't even touched on what's going on. What, you know, what's on the horizon for you with Grissette. Uh, anything that uh, you've learned, uh, big failures, things going, I mean, you already kind of touched on uh, the projections and being ready for any scenario, which is great. Anything that you're going to do differently this time around, anything that you're prepared for because of your experience uh, leading kitchens and businesses that you're, you're going to be prepared for this time around? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think not just being prepared, like you said, with your, with your numbers and with your spreadsheets and with your, you know, all of, all of those, you know, frankly, boring things that you have to have your ducks in a row for, but having your, not your concept honed in because concepts evolve within the first few years of a restaurant. A lot of great restaurants open up intending to be something. And two years later, you know, the chef and the GM and the SOM and the owner can all take a step back and be like, damn, that turned out totally different than we thought it would. And thank God it did because it's awesome. Um, But having our, like our mantra and our, you know, the direction of our, you know, our now young, like hospitality group, um, you know, the grisette mantra of just like conviviality and, you know, 
I mean, that, that word in itself means a uh, lot to us. I don't know it means what that a lot. word means. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, um, it's enjoying hospitality. Mm. It's, you know, we all like to do cool things with food and we all like to make great food and we all love to drink and, and, and appreciate good wine. But do you really love to share it with other people? Do you really love the social aspect of the hospitality industry? And not like going out for drinks after work, but, you know, we get to host a party every night for complete strangers who might end up becoming great regulars and important people in our lives and, you know, godfathers to our children, um, you know, but we have this opportunity every day that we open our doors to be convivial, to share our love and, you know, and feast and drink with each other. And, uh, you know, it's hard sometimes when you're working because you're on the wrong side of the bar. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think this time more than, more than anything else I've ever done, I'm going in with a love of sharing what I know and sharing what I like with other people. Like I love oysters and I love white burgundy and I love Madeira and I, you know, and, and I love like rotisserie chicken. So this is, that's what I'm going to give everyone. Mm. Like that's what I'm going to make for people. And I hope they love it as much as I do. And, uh, but you know, you, and, you touch on something that's really important there. Uh, I think nine times out of 10 people, I think people want to, how do I say this? people are buying into your energy and your passion for what you do. And it has to be authentic. I mean, a lot of people will try to build a concept and that concept has nothing to do with what they are truly passionate about. Now you also have to, there's that balance of giving your guests what they want. You got to find that sweet spot of does the guest, what does what the guests want kind of align with my passion and can we, can we marry those things? I mean, that's the perfect recipe, but, uh, it has to be genuine. It has to be authentic because it's that genuine authenticity in that passion for what you're doing. That's going to sell it that, that right. gonna, you know, and, and how do you find that? Um, you, you find it through experience. You find it through, you find it through being confident and secure enough with yourself to know what you like, but humble enough to know that you don't know everything. Mm. And, um, you know, humility is something that I, you know, very few people have in their twenties. Um, I mean, very few people have ever sometimes. Um, but I think, I think having, you know, having the confidence of all of these years of experience paired with the humility of having, you know, your face rubbed in the dirt more than a few times through failure, you get this, you know, this, this beautiful, like melding of, of, of good experience and bad experience where you're you, like, you know, I know my food's good. Like I'm, I'm okay. To say, I feel totally fine saying that <laughs> I know my food's great, yeah. but I'm not, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a better cook than everybody else in the world. It just means that what I do, I do well. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to share with you what I do. I don't know how to make sushi. Like, I just don't, I don't know how to make, I don't know how to make like Spanakopita. Yeah. I've never freaking, I've made it probably once in my whole life and it probably sucked because it's not something that I make often. Um, <laughs> Chef, you're a tear. I don't want to interrupt you. I love this, but is there yeah, anything, right. is there anything we haven't covered up to this point? Anything that you want to get out, you want to get out there before we go to the speed round? Um, just, you know, going into this next project that I'm doing, um, you know, I think it's, Everywhere that I've stopped along the way, uh, I've gotten I've gotten into not trouble, but I've I've run into the fact that the owner and I didn't agree, and um, you know my 
part, my business partner for Grisette um, is a gentleman that I, when I came back to Richmond, I was like, this is the, you know, this is the horse that I want to hitch my wagon to because this guy freaking like gets it. Uh, and his name, his name's Andy McClure. And uh, he just, you know, he's, it, it's nice because, you know, the, the obviously it's nice because the financing is there. Like, you know, he, he owns a, a bunch of restaurants in Charlottesville and uh, he's a successful guy, but we got to get him on the show. But the second edge to the sword is always, like you said, it's money and people. And he takes care of his people. Like he takes care of his people, unlike any restaurant owner that I've ever seen. And um, it, it spoke, you know, it spoke to me when it came time to like, you know, I've got, I'm back in Virginia. I've got a few options. I've got, you know, I, who do I want to like, not hit up for money, but who do I want to partner with on mm. this thing? And um, I think I finally have like realized that I found the right person. Like you said, if you're going to open a restaurant with someone, you got to be able to marry them. And, and you're like, about to, aren't you? With your wife? And, and, <laughs> oh, I mean, my, my wife and I are married and she's a big part of this restaurant too. But like, if I had to like wake up and make coffee for Andy McClure every morning, like, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the worst conversation in the world at least. Like, like, yeah, I, I like we, 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 we understand each other. We get along. Um, you know, again, we still disagree about a lot of stuff, but, uh, you know, I, I respect him and he respects me. And we've just like, I, I, you know, at the risk of like, you know, I need to knock on wood at the same time, but like, I feel like I finally found, uh, you know, the person that's going to, not just help me open my concept, but open my concept with a ton of input that's going to make it a lot better than nice. it would have been without it. Awesome. So. Great way to wrap up this free-flowing portion of the, con- or the, the conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. To be unstoppable, most restaurants require a little extra capital from time to time. It happens, right? Uh, when you need funding to like renovate or buy equipment or manage cash flow, you don't have time to just track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. And that is where Cabbage can help. Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. And if you apply online, you'll get a decision right away, which is pretty awesome. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You'll never have to reapply to take out additional loans, and you only pay for the funds you use. Yeah, you're impressed, and I haven't even gotten to the impressive part. Cabbage has helped more than 130,000 businesses from every industry with over $4 billion in funding. Like, awesome. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company not once, but twice. Check out Cabbage at Cabbage with a K dot com slash restaurant unstoppable and you'll get a $50 gift card when you qualify. That's Cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash restaurant unstoppable. Line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. All Cabbage business loans are issued by Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member FDIC. Everyone loves processing invoice after invoice. It's the best. (laughs) Not really. Just the sight of a filing cabinet is enough to make you sick, right? It doesn't have to be that way. With Sorcery, there's no more manually processing invoices by hand and no more cutting check after check. With Sorcery, you can organize all of your accounts digitally, scan your invoices, and pay your vendors with just one click. It is easy. Sorcery offers fully managed accounts and statements reconciliation, so you no longer spend hours on the phone with your vendors and banks that stinks. You now have the peace of mind knowing your accounts are being taken care of, and you can get back to work doing what you love. 
running unstoppable restaurants. Go to GetSorcery.com, that's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com, or call 1-866-830-0691. Mention Restaurant Unstoppable and receive 10% off your first three months. And say goodbye to your old filing cabinet and hello to the digital world with Sorcery AP Automation. We're back. And the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, don't don't waste time. Just do. You know, you wake up in the morning, just, just start working. What uh, is your biggest weakness? <laughs> coincidentally, sometimes <laughs> I procrastinate. Uh, no, I, I mean, you know, you take... Do things you don't, I guess my biggest weakness is I don't do things that I don't like doing uh, as often as I should. So just, you know, rip the bandaid off, get the hard stuff out of the way first. Eat That Frog is a great book uh, that I'm going to recommend for yeah. you. Have you read it? Yeah, I no, I haven't read it. Oh, it's great, man. I love that book. But that's what he says in that book. Like when you, you know, it's tackling that big nasty project that you don't want to do. Uh, and he teaches you how to eat that frog. And that's kind of what that whole eat that frog is that nasty thing you don't want to do. Um what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? You know, it sounds silly, but I, I like to ask, like, what do you do when you're not working? What do you because I think, that, I think that says a lot about someone. What do you do when you're not at work? Um, you know, because if the answer is like, oh, I hang out with my friends and I go to the bar, like, oh, geez, come on, man. Like, you don't do anything else. So. <laughs> uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh compartmentalizing uh, running a restaurant with opening a restaurant with being married and making sure that like, I don't know, my car starts. And, you how, know, like, how are you, uh, how are you dealing with that? Uh, I'm leaning on lots of other really good people. And uh, you know, I obviously still take ownership of everything, but you know, my wife does a ton and my business partner, Andy does a ton on his end and my you know, my people at work do a ton. So just, you, you just, I'm surrounding myself with people that can help prop me up because you can't do it all yourself. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. Again, super cliche and it goes back to the army, but just be on time and be wearing what you're supposed to be wearing. If you can show up on time and be in the right uniform, you are like halfway there. <laughs> and that's with my like junior members of my team. Uh, you know, the older guys they or, and girls, they, they all know that already. But uh, on your first day, you just, just walk in the door 10 minutes before you need to be there. What is one uncommon standard of service that would be standard or will be standard in your restaurant that is not standard within the industry? Um, anticipatory service. I think, I think watching somebody without saying anything and, and noticing what they need before they even know they need it. And that's a, that's a, that's, you know, that's hospitality 401. That's not a beginner kind of thing. And it's hard to teach people how to do that, but we are, you know, we're, we're trying to teach people to say like, I mean, analyze what they're doing right now. Look at, look at everything. Look at their napkin, look at their water glass, look at their utensils, look at their plate, look at the expression on their face. Are they hot? Are they cold? Do they need something? You know, anticipate like nobody should ever have to ask for anything mm. ever like awesome. if you need to ask you've already messed up i love it what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or restaurant operator i mean the the easy answer is setting the table because it's like it's the gospel for those of us that really care about uh 
about restaurants. Um, as far as I'm going to make you go one deeper that on that because it's, it's recommended all the time, but there are a ton of great values in that book. So for you, what was the biggest takeaway from setting the table? Um, I, you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm going to give you another book, but from as far as setting the table goes, um, the biggest takeaway is, is the center of the table is, you know, you can, you can have your expectations. What I think is the center of the table is, is not to everybody else. And the, the biggest takeaway for me is don't be a dick about it. Like, you know, you can, you can constantly tell people they're wrong and still not be a jerk. Yeah. And uh, when you're, when you're full of fire as a young chef, you don't always understand that. Yeah. And I think it's just comes up with, you know, embracing the process, accepting that it's your job to reset the table, to, to yeah. bring people back. Once you accept that that's your job is to bring back the, you know, to bring things back to the standard and you don't have to get emotional over it. You, that's just your job. And, 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 and cherish the process. Cherish. Wow. I can't talk. I think that second beer is hitting me. Uh, <laughs> cherish the process. Uh, beautiful stuff. What's the second book you're going to recommend? Uh, it's completely, it has absolutely nothing to do with restaurants and everything to, to do with my love of hard nosed hockey players. And it's a, uh, it's a book called Mr. Hockey. It's Gordy Howe's autobiography. And uh, he's just for being the greatest hockey player to ever walk the earth, which is borderline non-negotiable in my life or in my family, at least. Uh, he's the most humble man that's ever lived. And uh, it's great. To, it's just, it's, you know, as, as a restaurateur, we all want to be great. We all want to be awesome. We all, you know, we all aspire to be that like long lived, open the next great American restaurant thing. And to still, to still be able to say, you know, I'm just a kid from Saskatoon who happened to be really good at a game is uh, you can learn a lot from somebody like that. Yeah. Uh, share one online resource or tool you use to go get information, to get inspired, to get knowledge, or just to lever- leverage as a tool. What would that be? Sure. Um, I go to Guild Some a lot. It's a uh, it's the Guild of Sommeliers. Uh, it's it's not a blog. It's a it's a community. Uh, it's like a hundred bucks a year to belong. Um, but uh, you get you just anything and everything that has to do with with the beverage world. Uh, I check it every day, and I'm not even like a front of house guy. It's just something that I can keep my finger on the pulse five minutes a day. My bread baker does the same thing with a baker's guild. Um, and it just, you know, those kinds of websites where you pay a little bit of money, but then you get to like be on the inside of the elite level of the, of this industry. I think it is a hundred dollars. Very well spent. Cool. Um, what is one piece of technology you've adopted and you plan to leverage within your new restaurant that has you really excited? Oh man. Um, it goes against new technology, but it's my wristwatch. Um, it's no, you laugh, man. I don't pull my phone out anymore at, at work. And it's something I just started doing last year. I was like, all right, I'm going to buy a watch because I, I look at my phone too much, just like everybody else in yeah. the world and in restaurants, especially like we're on stage. We're, you know, even if I pull my phone out to look and see what time it is, I'm looking at my phone and you're going to get distracted. And, and there's distractions there. So adopt some old technology and take a page out of, you know, the entire world up until 15 years ago and just buy a simple wristwatch. And if you need to know what time it is, you need to know how long a ticket is dragging. Look at your watch. Don't look at your phone. Mm. Uh, I'm curious uh, with opening a new restaurant, you were probably out there doing the research phase of things. Uh, and we talked already and you're going with toast. I believe I remember you saying I am. What was it yeah. about toast that made you choose that platform? 
Um, it, it really came down to, uh, it did everything we needed it to do. And, um, and, and it's cloud-based, which is huge. Um, why is that huge? Because you don't have to rely on their, like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the big brands, they, they crash often. And that's not to say Toast is like impervious to ever crashing. I, I doubt it is. I don't think that any technology is impervious to crashing. But um, being able to just like hop on my phone and look at, you know, and I can pull anything up on my phone, on my Chromebook, on the computer at work. I can be anywhere in the entire world and have my entire point of sale system at my fingertips and not just the back of house version of it, uh, but the whole thing. You can yeah. see the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it's just super user friendly. And I'm like, I'm a proud Luddite. I don't love, you know, I'm, I don't love technology. I work with my hands for a living <laughs> and I always will. So uh, something that I can learn in an hour or less is like, that's very awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. This is the last question. Chef, are you ready for it? I am. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurant will be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things, you know, to be true, to leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would they be? Uh, I would start with, it all starts at home. And, uh, if you, if you're not happy at home, you're not going to be happy at work, no matter how many, you know, Michelin stars you get or James Beard awards you win or anything. So, you know, be good to your family, love your wife and, and, uh, and your kids and all that stuff. Just your home life is the foundation of everything. It all starts Um, at home. it, It all starts at home. Absolutely. Um, the second one, it would be uh, ripping off Mickey, my chef in New England, is you, you really are only as good as your last plate. You know, it's just like the situation with my baker. You can't stop. Don't get lazy with your leadership. Don't get lazy with what you're doing. Um, would you say you have to be unstoppable? Yeah, I would, I would say you have to be unstoppable. <laughs> Sorry, you, have to be, you have to be relentless. Uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that's kind of it. And, and the um, third one. And the third one is uh, if you're not enjoying it, just don't do it anymore. Mm. Um, you know, there will be moments where it's not enjoyable. That's not to say every second of every minute of every hour of every day is enjoyable. But if you can, you know, if you're going home more times than not saying, I really hate my job, I really hate owning this restaurant, then stop owning that restaurant mm. because it's not going to, it's not yeah. going to change. Yeah. It's not going to get better. Yeah, like, absolutely. Miraculously. Chef, this has been a great conversation. Uh, we really got real. We got deep, and I appreciate you for that. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry, a great guest mentor, who would, like somebody who would be a great guest mentor on the show? Who would that be? Um, I would like to call out a gentleman uh, on Martha's Vineyard named Scott Cummings. Uh, he is... Probably the most technically sound chef that I've ever had the pleasure of working next to. Um, a super stand-up guy. Uh, he he has like where I have hard-nosed kind of New England like get in the trenches uh, dining experience. He has like legit uh, you know legit Michelin starred experience, uh, and he is a uh, he is a force in the kitchen and just like. He'll uh, not only will he give you a great interview, but I think he'll, he'll have a lot to say that those that us like approaching middle-aged chefs that are just starting to get confident enough to do our own thing would learn a lot from. So 
Douglas Scott Cummings, you're getting called out, man. Douglas Sit down for an Scott hour Cummings, and, yes. and shoot the shit because uh, you, you've got a lot to tell young people that, that they need to hear. I'm coming after you, Douglas Scott Cummings, and let the folks at home know if we want to follow what you're up to. What's the best way to connect? Website, email, uh, social Sure. Handles. So our, our new uh, – our everything we're doing has the Grisette RVA. That's G-R-I-S-E-T-T-E-R-V-A for Richmond, Virginia. Uh, so – you know, our Facebook, our, our uh, Instagram, our website is uh, grisetterva.com, and it's about to launch, so give me some time. Our, our uh, Instagram account's already up, but and then grisetterva at gmail.com, um, you know, if you want to kind of check in and see what the concept is all about, and, uh, you know, it, that's, that's how you get in touch with us. This is episode 482. I think, yeah, 482, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 482. I'll have the links in the show notes uh, along with a summary of today's discussion all over there. Or head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Donnie, D-O-N-N-I-E, glass, G-L-A-S-S. You can also find everything there as well. Chef Donnie Glass, thank you so much for taking the time to join me uh, this Friday or this, what day is today? Tuesday uh, night, Tuesday, Tuesday yeah, night. Tuesday. It's uh, almost eleven o'clock at night. I appreciate you making the time for me. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. It's been good. My pleasure. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Chef Donnie Glass. Just man, the the passion's coming out today. Awesome stuff. I love the conversation. I think the the big takeaways from today's conversation, first and foremost, know who you're getting into business with. Know what their vision is uh, and really just take that time to court each other, to to really understand where each other are coming from, to make sure you're going in the same direction, that your vision is the same. Because if if you go into business together, uh, you have different objectives, different visions. It's just not going to work out. So do yourself that due, that due diligence of really vetting your business partners and the people who are going to be you know, signing their name on your paychecks. Uh, it's really important. And I think the other great takeaway from today's conversation is the idea of that constant gentle pressure. And I believe in uh, Danny Myers setting the table. That's in regard to the standards and constantly making people um, understand the standards and you knowing the standards and constantly gently recentering the salt shaker, right? And put, bring people back to what the standards are. But that same concept of constant gentle pressure can be applied to mentoring, right? Uh, it's your job to make sure that these people are showing up growing every day. And that's the standard that they're growing and being challenged every day. And we need to reset the salt shaker to, to that point of constant challenge of constant mentorship of constant guidance and that's our role as restaurant owners and chefs to transform our people and make them better and that takes constant gentle pressure so great conversation today i really love this one and i have uh, a quick announcement to make so i'm always saying on the show at the end of the show uh you know let me know how i can help you reach out to me and i give you my contact information and now it's time for me to deliver i have russ column from the line hotel in austin texas here with me and they're opening a new restaurant in the line hotel and i got russ here russ column is gonna uh let you know what's going on and they're looking for great people so uh, take it away russ hey eric so we are at the line hotel in austin and we are hiring for all positions including restaurant positions in arlo gray uh, with executive chef and top chef season 10 winner Kristen Kitsch. We also have barista positions for Alfred Coffee, 
Um, so if you're in the Austin area and you're passionate about hospitality, uh, you can go to thelinehotel.com slash Austin and apply today. Yeah, there's some great people on this team, and I'm always talking about you're the average of those people you surround yourself with. If you're looking to get into this industry and you want the mentors that will help you really become successful, this sounds like a great team to be joining. So go check it out. I'll have the contact information in the show notes of today's episode. And uh, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com, Instagram, Twitter, Eric Cacciatore in Facebook slash Restaurant Unstoppable. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what your challenges are. I'll get an expert on the show or just let me know anything. I'm, I'm open to anything. And I think that this uh, having Russ right here join us is proof of that. And keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. But the best way to support this mission of inspiring and empowering and transforming the industry is by sharing it. Let people know this resource exists. Let them know that you're finding value in it and please spread the word. That's the best compliment. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.